0: Amen. Amen. You guys can grab a seat. Welcome to Christ Church this morning. My name is Brian Beamant. I'm the lead pastor here. So excited to be able to open God's Word again uh, with our church this week. We've been going through a series uh, through the book of Acts. We are in the sort of final sub-series called Unstoppable. And uh, just so thankful for what God has uh, taught us in this series about Uh, The nature of the church and uh, our place in the church, how God wants to use us uh, individually and collectively uh, to be the church. And so um, I always feel a a level of um, weight and responsibility um, when bringing God's word each week. And this week particularly um, is a passage uh, that is going to uh, really help shape the character and nature of ministry at our church Um, uh, collectively for all of us as we um, jump in and invest deeply in our church here. And so before I begin, I just want to ask God to bless this time. Let's pray again. God, thank you for the word that's open uh, right now. I pray as we uh, get our Bibles open to Acts chapter 20, that we would be prepared to hear from you because we uh, don't want to go our way. And uh, God, we're uh, tired of, of going the direction that leads to frustration, and um, leads to resistance. Instead, God, we want to we wanna follow the way that although there is difficulty and trials, um, we will find with it the blessing of Christ. We will find in it the um, power and the strength that you give to guide us and to lead us. And so, God, would you uh, help us this morning to walk forward in the way you would want us to go for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I don't know about the rest of you, but um, I've always wondered what it would be like um, to give sort of a a farewell speech, maybe at the uh, end of your life, um, maybe in a key transition, but uh, what would it look like to, to give that? There's been famous farewell speeches all throughout history, some from politicians or other famous public figures, sports icons, other influential figures. In the Bible, you see lots of farewell speeches. Uh, Many of those happen right before the person passes away. Uh, People like Jacob and Joseph and Moses, Joshua and David, had these moments to give sort of farewell speeches. Jesus in John 14 through 17 gives a a farewell discourse to his disciples before he's gonna be uh, betrayed and eventually uh, nailed to the cross. Then here in Acts 20, we're going to have the chance to see a ministry farewell speech as Paul communicates to the Ephesian elders and that's going to be the the, the main focus of the message but um, let's see what happens sort of leading up to that point. Acts chapter 20 um, in the first verses we're coming out of um, the riot at Ephesus that we talked about last week and in chapter 20, it starts off, after the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. And then it goes forward, it's like he went through the regions and gave them much encouragement, he came to Greece, he spends three months there, there's a plot made against him, which happens everywhere Paul goes. Look in verse 4, he talks about uh, Sopater the Berean, son of Pherus, accompanied him and the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus and Gaius of Derbe and Timothy and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. So all these men are just along with him they become partners in ministry with him. Verse 5 these went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and in 5 days we came to them at Troas where we stayed for 7 days. So the first 6 verses just continue the pattern of what we see in Paul's ministry. He's out encouraging the churches, he's facing resistance, there's this accumulating group of people that are following alongside him. Then look in verse seven, it gives a little glimpse into what Paul does at different times in his ministry. On the first day of the week when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day and he prolonged his speech until midnight. Okay, so I promise the sermon will not last until midnight. And all God's people said, <laughs> "That was way too quick. <laughs> That'd be a little hesitation." There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus. So, so you got to you got to get this picture. They're, they're up in what would have been sort of a standard housing at that time, three floors, and on the top floor there would have been windows just to the outside. They wouldn't they wouldn't have had like screens like we had today we have today. There's been open sort of air places in the Middle East or in this area of Turkey is where today um, would be the equivalent. And uh, and so he's sitting there and there's a young man named Eutychus sitting at the window. <coughs> he sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. So now we're, we're past midnight. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. This is like Eutychus. Like, some, some pastors have preached this passage and been like, yeah, that's what could happen if you fall asleep. So. That is not a main point of this message. Then look at verse 10. But Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms said, do not be alarmed for his life is in him. At this point, we don't know. Was he just like, is he knocked unconscious? Was he healed? We're not sure, but he's back alive. And, and then look what Paul does. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. So at this point, like, I, I, think, I think what gets lost in this passage is, is, is Eutychus falling out of the window. The, the thing that blows me away is Paul's commitment to preach the word at, right in this moment before he would depart from them was so intense then he's like, oh shoot, Eutychus, you just interrupted my message. He goes down, he makes sure Eutychus is okay, he goes back up, he breaks bread, means he has a little, he has a little snack, and they continue until daybreak, and then he departs. And we're going to see later that this comes from Paul's passion for the word of God. He's like, I don't have anything to give you, I don't have anything else to leave you with except the word of God. And so I'm going to persist in teaching it because I want you to have a handle of it before I leave. So then it goes on, um, verse 13. I'm just going to put this map up on the screen because I want you guys to see that these are real places. So you can just, just look at the map and watch what's happening here. This is, that's modern-day Turkey. And it's, but going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there. For so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us in Assos, we took him on board and went to Metilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios. The next day we touched at Samos, and the day after that we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia. For he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. And so there we've got him. He's in Miletus, right there, he's journeyed down. It's helpful sometimes to realize these are real places. These are real places. And, and then um, we get to verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they, had came, when they came to him, he said to them. So here we are, now we're at this point. Paul is about to head to Jerusalem and then from Jerusalem to Rome. And in this moment, Paul's like, call the Ephesian elders. Call the Ephesian elders to me. He wants to give a farewell speech. His final communication to them And he calls them together, and this this next section, from here to the end of the chapter, I want us to uh, see that what Paul's doing here is he's giving the Ephesian elders his heart for gospel ministry. He's like, I got this last chance to sort of summarize it, summarize my heart and my instruction to them. And he doesn't just want it. So don't think, well, I'm I'm not an elder, so I don't have to listen. Because what he's doing here is he's telling the elders so that the elders can filter it down into every part of the church, as we're gonna see. And so I want us to enter in and I want us to walk alongside these elders. I want us to imagine that we're there in this moment and Paul's giving us his farewell speech and in this and through this speech Um, I've identified what I believe are six commitments of unstoppable gospel ministry that is still applicable to the church today. It's gonna be a bit of a summary of sort, a bit of a kind of a training in this um, sermon, but we're focusing in on uh, verses 17 to 38. We're gonna walk through them verse by verse, and here's the big move. The big move, the encouragement that I believe God wants us to have collectively today is to commit your life to unstoppable gospel ministry commit your life to this friends since um, my sophomore year in college when i felt so um just so clear to me like it was yesterday that god was like this is what i've called you to now for me that ended up in vocational ministry a unique calling and and i believe that for everyone who's a follower of christ you are called to gospel ministry why did god redeem your life just so you could, like we, could like, like we talked about last week, like, not so we can sing Kumbaya and be like, oh man, this is so great. There's a part of celebration, certainly, but there is a purpose and a mission that we have that's right amidst the fabric of everything in the book of Acts. And so this is a continuing, sort of almost training even, of what was more inspiration last week. And so um, we want to be a people who are going after gospel ministry. And there's this encouragement that Paul gives, that I believe he gives to the elders so that it would filter through the church. So let's receive it together as the church. Six commitments of unstoppable gospel ministry. First one, uh, fill it out in your notes here. I will serve with genuine love. 18 and 19, look 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 what Paul says. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. So the first thing I want you to see is that there is a nature that Paul shows in ministry that is with all humility first. He was putting their needs before his own. It was with tears Like he wept for the people to know God and to walk with him. He wept over them and he wept alongside them in their suffering. And with trials, he faced trials right alongside them. What I love about this and what I want you to mark here is that he was with them. He was with them. That's why one of the initial characteristics of commitments of unstoppable gospel ministry is I will serve with genuine love. That there is a nature of what I'm doing that is with people. It's with people. It's a presence and it's a brotherly affection. It's a foundational reality of genuine love is that I'm with you then look in 36 and 38 because uh, this idea of i'm going to serve a genuine love sort of kind of forms a book end or a kind of the intro and conclusion of this farewell speech look in 36 so after he says all these things when he had said these things he knelt down and prayed with them all they're just going to the lord together and there was much weeping on the part of all they embraced paul and kissed him being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. (laughs) This, This wasn't like a, hey, elders, we're gonna do a final training before I leave. This wasn't some level of like, I've got some prayers I've rehearsed that I'm gonna pray over us. They gathered together and they were weeping because of the loss of relationship. That only comes because they, because Paul and the elders together served with genuine love. They were embracing and kissing one another. There was a, a sorrowful for this farewell. It's really an illustration of what Paul teaches in Romans 12 when he says, Let love be genuine and love one another with brotherly affection. This, this wasn't some macho, unemotional leaders in the church. God forgive us for the way that a very unhealthy perspective of masculinity, seen very often in our culture today, has too often infiltrated into the church. God forgive us for that. That there's this idea that, that like that masculinity has to have this sort of like, "Oh, I'm so tough, I'll never weep ever." will never see a tear run down my face. And yet Paul here, who by the way, at this point, has been flogged, beaten, stoned. Like he's, he's in the top 1% of all guys I've ever met for qualifying as being tough. Okay, can we all agree? Can we all agree? Like I don't match up and I don't know anybody who comes close. And they're weeping a blubbering mess of tears and emotion something is so messed up in our culture these wrong ideas of manhood and masculinity have clearly stunted the emotional development of men in today's culture and we have to bring our lives under the teaching of scripture not bring the culture into our understanding of Scripture. We need more healthy expressions of emotion and affection among men today. It'd be a wonderful blessing to the church. It'd be a wonderful blessing to your family, men. It'd be a wonderful blessing to your marriage, I promise you. We need more genuine expressions of affection, where we look at someone and we say, I love you. I'm so thankful for a culture that I see increasing around here where I get off the phone. I was on the phone with a a guy that I've been doing ministry alongside and has been in some of the groups that I've led and at the end of it, after chatting and catching up, he was just like, I love you. And I was like, I love you. I love you. Like, I really mean that. Like, there's an affection I have for you and an affection I have for your family. And when you weep, I weep. And when you rejoice, I rejoice. I believe that's in the Bible somewhere also. There's this characteristic that that around all that Paul says, he's like, I will serve with genuine love. See the needs of God's people. Extend your heart to them. Your your longing should be expressed with some level of emotion if you really believe that the gospel matters in people's lives. And love puts the right exclamation point behind your message. Anger and impatience just confuses the message. Love puts the right exclamation mark behind the message. I will serve with genuine love. That's a key part to committing your life to unstoppable gospel ministry. And then the second one, I will always proclaim the word. After that, after expressing his heart, verse 20, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. So house to house here is referring to the, the church in Ephesus. He's like, uh, they, they had hundreds of thousands of people in Ephesus. It would be like a big city today. And the gospel had, had taken root, and there were multiple groups of people. And they didn't have buildings the size that we have today that can have this many people in a room. And so they met in homes, and Paul went around to all of these houses where you would have had probably 20 to 50 people. Their houses would have been like lo- big houses households. And and you would have had Paul going around house to house and just proclaiming. Look what it says. teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks. What? What's his message? Of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Second commitment, I will always proclaim the word. I'll always proclaim the word. I mean, we see his commitment earlier when Eutychus fell out of the window. We already, we already commented on that. Now, he says here, he says, notice how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. <clears throat> he didn't shrink, it's really a perfect picture, this idea of not shrinking or shrinking back. Have you ever had like a moment when you knew, uh, maybe there was something you were asking for that you felt like was gonna be a really hard ask? Like, Maybe you're like, okay, I need to ask my boss for a raise. Or, I, I really want to negotiate the price down on something I'm trying to purchase on Facebook Marketplace. Whatever it might be, you know? Or maybe it's a hard conversation that you're gonna have with somebody, and you're like, I know I need to say this to them. And then you like, you, you get yourself like, you rehearse it. You're like, I know exactly what I'm gonna say. And, and I, I, I'm gonna say it like this. And, and then you get into the moment, and, and it comes and you're standing before your boss, or that person who's like, yeah, this is the price, or this like really hard, tense moment, and you're just like, You shrink back, and you don't ask for what you felt like you should ask for, or you don't communicate the thing that you wanted to communicate. And Paul is saying here that he did not do that with the word. He didn't do it. He didn't shrink back Paul declared, he taught, he testified, he proclaimed the word. And there was one central theme that you can see in this passage that came from that proclaiming of the word. Repentance and faith. Repentance unto the Lord and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we we talk about this numerous times and it's so important that we get this definition in our heads and in our hearts Repentance. Here's what biblical repentance is: it's a decisive move to abandon sinful ways. So I'm going in a direction, and I see, and I I understand from God's word that that direction is not correct, and I abandon those sinful ways. But you you don't just you don't just abandon. You have to move towards something. That's faith faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is following in the way of Christ. And so I see that there's a sinful way. I identify and understand it from God's word. And so I abandon that. And now I'm living obediently to Christ in his ways. Every step along the way is a step of faith. And in that, I'm also having remorse over past behavior and inclinations. This is the message that you see from God's word again and again and again. Why? Because God's word is living and active. And, and so when you communicate it, it. I mean, every time I communicate it, every time you communicate it to anyone in any context, those who have pride or who, whose hearts aren't turned towards God, they resist it. So don't be surprised by the resistance. And sometimes the the conviction of it is so deep that the response back is to push back against it. There's a fight here. But when someone's heart is yielded to God, then they receive it, it penetrates, like the Bible says in Hebrews, to the very heart of a person. And it causes them to look and go, I, can't, I don't want to walk that way anymore. And then by faith, because that's the Bible always leading us to faith in Jesus Christ, that's the central person in the Bible, and now I'm walking in the ways of Christ. And the proclamation of the word is inherently one that moves people to repentance and faith. It's the central message. Unstoppable gospel ministry has one message from one source. Note that. Unstoppable gospel ministry has one message message from one source. When I see ministries going down, it's because oftentimes they start having multiple messages from multiple sources. It's one message from one source. Proclaim the word, calling people to repentance and faith. Do it lovingly. Do it with wisdom. Do it with gentleness and kindness, but do not shrink back. I will always proclaim the word. Thirdly, I will endure anything to finish well. Look at verse 22. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit. He's led by the Spirit. He knows God's leading him. Not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. What? Like Paul here expects imprisonment. He expects affliction. He's like, Just like, not, not, not like um, I think it might come, or this seems to be the pattern. He's like, on the authority of God, I'm going to face imprisonment and affliction everywhere I go. How, how in this, do you endure that? How do we endure it? How, how, do you, how do you endure in this when you expect it day after day after day in every place you go? How, how are you not going to get to a place where because of the difficulty of that affliction and trial that you're not going to get to a place where you're like constantly fearful everywhere you go? Or are you just going to start getting cynical like, now oh, here it comes. I might get stoned in the next town and just sort of like almost fatalistic about it. Or how do you not get burnt out by it? Paul tells us. Look at verse 24. Look what he says. How, how? Here's how. But I do not account my life of any value nor is precious to myself. You can write in the margin or in your notes, stop mentally and emotionally prioritizing self. That's the first thing he teaches us. If you want to endure, anything to finish well in gospel ministry here's what i promise you you better not have a high view of self because it's going to get some of you chuckling right now and smiling because you're like "Mm -hmm." mm-hmm every time you step into gospel ministry at any layer in your life um you better get self low or self will get taken low one of the two humble yourself or be humbled and he mentally says check, I will not do that. Notice what he says. That's an accounting term he uses at the beginning. I do not account my life of any value. So he's like, I look at my life, I evaluate it, zero dollars. And then he gives an emotional component to this. He's like, I'm not going to consider myself precious. I'm not going to look at myself and be like, oh, are your feelings hurt, self? It's been a really hard day. No, he's like, I'm not, I'm not viewing myself that way. So that's the first thing he does. He, he teaches us exactly how to endure. Then look, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. So here he's just teaching us, focus on, on, on Christ's calling in your life. We've talked about this in our church a lot recently. Like you were created with a purpose. God gifted you w- w- with a gift to use gifts and talents and experiences to use in the kingdom of God to serve other people. Some of you don't endure well because you're not taking hold of the gift that God's given you. But when you know that gift, and when you believe that it was given to you from the Lord Jesus, you're like, nothing will get me off of finishing my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. I mean, we talk about gifts a lot, particularly in Christmas time, and people are like, oh, look at the gift I got. I'm like, I received something from Jesus Christ and I'm gonna hold on to that thing and I'm gonna fulfill that. I'm gonna focus my life on Christ's calling. You gotta orient your life around this mission. Then thirdly, he just says, uh, he's talking about to testify to the gospel of the grace of God, that every part of our giftedness and our calling and the mission is just to testify about the gospel of the grace of God and to put it on display, both in the way God changes us, fills us, and then equips us for ministry work in the kingdom and in our lost world. This is how you endure. That's how you endure. Because it's the good news. And and when you think about and when you truly recognize that the God before the foundation of the world set his love on me and then sent his son into the world so that he might die and my entire penalty of sin might be forgiven on the cross like we just remembered and celebrated in communion. When we recognize that, Man, there is an aspect of that when it takes hold of our hearts that we recognize, I have something to declare that has transformed my life. And if you know this message, you will endure anything to finish well. (laughs) Just to fulfill this one mission, just to declare the good news, just to make Christ famous. (laughs) That's the... If this is, to the degree that you know that this is really, really good news, you're gonna endure anything to finish well. That's the third commitment of unstoppable gospel ministry. Fourthly is I will invest deeply in the church. Verse 25. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, For I did not shrink, there it is again, from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. So there's gonna be something, messages that start to come to draw people away. And from among your own selves, some will turn, even that say they're followers of Christ, will arise, men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And so the fourth commitment is this, I will invest deeply in the local church. I'll invest deeply in the church. That's what Paul's doing. That's his entire mission. That was the mission of of Christ, to... Establish the gospel, establish the kingdom of God, and then the kingdom of God plays itself out in local churches where God's people are gathered together, being what God's called them to be so that we can be everything God's called us to be to the world. And and he's giving the elders here a a clear responsibility. Pay careful attention to yourselves that the gospel of the grace of God is active and, and producing fruit in your life, and then pay attention to all the flock both to care for them and protect them. Really, here's what a local church needs to be a local church. It needs elders and a flock. That's it. Elders and a flock that are faithful to the gospel of the grace of God. Elders and a flock. Investing deeply in a church fundamentally means that you're living out your gospel life with all the things that the Bible calls us to, you're living out your gospel life fully committed to a group of sheep in a specific flock under the leadership of biblical elders. So so elders, as the New Testament teaches, are men who uh, fulfill specific qualifications. In the local church, what you see then is um, the elders aren't everyone who is biblically qualified because uh, the Bible also teaches that anyone should aspire to um, be qualified as an elder. But then there are uh, select men out of those the, the church that then is called to or identified by God has men who are to oversee and shepherd the flock of disciples in the local church. You see this in first and second Timothy and First Peter. And here in Acts 20, we see the elders are responsible for the oversight, the care, and the protection of the church. So let me just bring that to home for us. Um, we believe in um a church being elder led and so uh we have uh, many many different uh, uh, men and women who have the fulfilled the qualifications of of uh, and the character needed uh, to be an elder as it says in first and second timothy but we believe the bible speaks specifically to men being elders in respect to the household and uh, we have four elders in our church currently who have been chosen specifically to serve as sort of the board of elders That's Charlie Barnes, uh, Doug Bance, Rex Visser, and me in my role. And we feel the weight of this responsibility that Paul's communicating to the elders here. I also want you to know that that I think any wise elder, even even seen in the New Testament, is not going to attempt to do all of that responsibility themselves, okay? There's a, a wise stewardship that, is reflected in our church by delegating the care and the protection and the encouragement down through our church, through staff people, through um, deacons, through small group leaders, and fundamentally through every person that's a part of the flock, fulfilling their gifts in service to one another. And in so doing, we're equipped for the work of ministry like it talks about in Ephesians 4, and the whole entire church is built up. Do you see the picture? but there are some that have the responsibility to oversee all of that playing out. And so there, there's, there's the elders, but then there's the flock. There's the elders and the flock. And so the question I have for you is I, as I read this, I just go, what does it look like to be a part of a flock? What does it look like to be a part of a flock? And I want to challenge all of you here because I want to make sure that you've made a move to identify as part of a flock. And what I'm certain of in my study of scri- in the New Testament and Scripture is that um, you don't identify as a part of a flock by just showing up and meeting in a room. You don't identify as part of a flock by just showing up regularly to church somewhere. I, don't, I-, I want more for you, whether it's in our church or any other a gospel-centered church in our area. I, I want you to will make moves to, to identify, I'm part of the flock. I'm part of the flock. It's good for you and it's good for us in our responsibility to lead because we're responsible to the flock. And so how we identify the flock here at our church is really through inviting people to walk the path that we talk about with next steps. It's like step one, come and say, hey, I'm new here. I want to learn what the church is about and meet some people. Step two, to to learn about the philosophy and the beliefs we have about discipleship. And then step three is to move towards covenant membership, which is just our form in our church of saying, okay, we've walked through a really biblically faithful process to identify who is the flock in our church. And and that's why we do that in our church, because we, we wanna be able to identify and give people an opportunity to declare their commitment, like, I'm part of this flock, I'm part of this flock. And we believe that's important. And we want to then, in that process, we want you to begin to learn how to invest more deeply in the church. To care and to be cared for. To protect and to be protected. To lead and to be led. Invest deeply. Are you a part of the flock? And I want you to take a step today, whatever that might need be for you, to say, I- I'm going to commit somewhere in a flock. There's protection there. How is there protection for the sheep that just wanders between multiple flocks and has no real flock and no real shepherds caring for their soul? I promise you, I don't understand not at one point in my walk as a, as a Christian have I ever not been underneath the care of a specific local church saying, I'm a part of the flock. Care for me, I need it. Protect me, I need it. Lead me, I need to be led. Even here, I'm still in submission to the elders that are around me and ultimately under the great shepherd. But this is the picture of the local church, and you see it here in the way Paul's expressing this. And we wanna respond, so one of the commitments to unstoppable gospel ministry is I will invest deeply in the church. Then five, I will lead people to root their life in God's grace. More quickly now, look at verse 32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace. And then, and then note what comes out of grace. Okay, so he's like, I commend you to God into the word of his grace. So you, when, you're, when you're commended to God, that means I'm rooting you, I'm leaving you there. I'm leaving you with God and in the words of his grace and then look at what comes out of grace here. Which is able, that word of his grace, that rootedness in God, is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance of, among the, all those who are sanctified. And so the best picture I have here is of a, of a house. And so if you think of a house, like we have, um, we have two homes being built right next to our house and, uh, and they're going up right now and you watch them as they have to go down deep into the sand um, in, in this area of the state and they have to go deep down in the sand and they're building up the house and they're making sure the foundation is secure. And so the first part of leading people to God's grace, to root themselves down in God's grace, is to say to them, man, you gotta build up your moral strength in God. It's not in your strength, it's not in your flesh, it comes from your connection to God. And so the first thing that God's grace brings is this security of my morality as guided by God and his word. So first picture the house being built up. Then once the house gets all like roughed in and the walls are up and everything's done, then you've got to, and the house gets kind of complete, it's ready to live in, then you've got to fill the house. This is the idea of inheritance because the gospel brings us an inheritance that fills our house with the promises of God, with the, the, the grace of God producing fruit in us that allows us to fill the house with good things. All of this by God's grace. So then you build the house, then you fill the house, and then this last one, you light up the house. When this is happening, God's grace, look, it says it places you among people, all those who are sanctified. Now, what lights up the house, isn't it an awesome thing when you see, like I love watching a home, driving by homes, and they're just lit up, and there's life happening there. There's families gathering and meeting together and, and there's an aspect of when you uh, find yourself rooted in God's grace, not only are you built up and then filled up, but now the light is shining out to the world and there's life happening there and God's people in God's house are being changed and, and people are being added to that house and sort of the party's getting bigger, so to speak, and there's goodness and change and transformation There's light to people who are looking for salvation. There's the light and life of those who are being sanctified and the light just keeps getting brighter. That's the picture here. I will lead people to root their life in God's grace. Gospel ministry leads people to that. It says, I wanna help you get there. I wanna help you get there. And then finally, so I will lead people to root their life in God's grace. All of that, all the building and the filling and the lighting up is by God's grace. It's informed and empowered by God's grace. I will lead people to root their life in God's grace. Then the final commitment, I will give generously. Paul says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. It's like I wasn't trying to profit in any way, in any affluence, 34, you yourselves know that these hands minister to my necessities and to those who are, who are with me. Provided for his life and the partners in ministry, verse 35, in all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. A phenomenal ending to this a farewell speech. Paul says, just give generously. Jesus showed us it's more blessed to give than to receive. Give what you have to help the weak. But Listen, we're, we're all weak. Okay, like, just don't come into the church believing that there's certain people that have achieved um, strength and have arrived, and there's certain people that are desperate and needy. The, the people who are leading, at least in our church, we want so badly for the people who are leading to be people who understand their weakness more regularly and have a pattern of taking that weakness to be filled and cared for by Jesus Christ and by each other. And so we're all weak, but we have what we have so we can help the weak. Weak who have no faith, weak who are struggling in their faith, weak who are facing difficult circumstances, weak who are disadvantaged in some way. Anyone who is weak in any way, you're welcomed here. And in this, when we realize what we've been given in the gospel, we got to see that God wants to use that to help the weak. It's one of the big reasons why um, a few weeks ago, September 12th, we did a message and the, and the, the main move of the message was aim to serve the character of servant leadership in our church that was followed by the Servant Leadership Summit. This week, we're going to send out um, all three of those messages to every person who, um, a link to those messages to every person who serves in any capacity in our church who may have missed the Servant Leadership Summit or that weekend. In addition, if some of you want to understand more deeply the nature of service biblically, just let us know, we'll send it to you, even if you're just considering serving or if it would just be an encouragement to you we'd love to send that to you. Because we want at every level as a church to be thinking about how we can give generously at multiple levels. Because we've been given love so that it would overflow into serving. We've been given a message so that we would proclaim it. We've been given a mission so that we would fulfill it. We've been given a church to invest in And we've been given people in our lives to lead them to God's grace. There's no other place we could lead them. And we've been given so that we would give generously. Church, this is is what Christ showed us and, um, and what we see here from Paul is a call for us to commit our lives to unstoppable gospel ministry. These six things. These six things, these six commitments. Keep them up on the screen as we Prepare now. I want us to respond. And um, I want you to consider, like, maybe I've never engaged in gospel ministry because I believe that I haven't done enough or earned enough or been righteous enough. Well, friends, these, these, you, you don't commit to these things because you've arrived. You commit to these things because a Christ is perfect and he wants to work these things out through your life. Maybe some of you are like, I just need to endure in these things and it's really hard right now. Maybe some of you, there's an aspect of this commitment, maybe in the church or in your family or in some relationship, you're like, God, I need to be more faithful to that. Let's respond now by just seeking God for his grace to come, bring these things about in our life. So I just want to give you a few moments right now just to pray. And just to seek God and to ask him to to, to align your life with these commitments so that gospel ministry might flow through us and out through our church to our world and to each other. Let's just pray for this right now together. Just seek the Lord on your own right now. Lead us, God. Lead us. Let us hear from you, God, in this moment. Spirit of God, speak to our hearts. Let us receive your word this morning. God, we wanna be a church that responds. We wanna be a church that hears and heeds and listens. Father, you don't just call us to yourself. You don't just call us to relationship with you, God. We all know that that would be enough. But more than that, grace upon grace, God, you have called us to, to purpose. And I ask that into our hearts and into our lives that we would not make room for you but that everything would be cleared out so that you could be the central purpose of our life. God, you've designed us to have such a deep need for relationship with you and then from that relationship, God, you call us to be your Ambassadors to be your speakers. You be the people that are proclaiming the gospel to the world. And I pray that you would help us to see the commitments that lead to unstoppable gospel ministry. I pray for some here, God, that you would give them the courage just to see that gospel ministry play out with one person, just one person maybe a friend at school or in their workplace or in their family that you would bring them something, somebody that they could minister to. Father, for others, I pray that these commitments would come alive in the groups that you've given them the responsibility to lead and have influence over. I pray for some that may even be leading in ministries, God, that they would have such a, a, a weight of this message and such a desire to be faithful in it. And so, God, I just thank you I thank you for the gospel ministry that you call us all to by your grace. We can't do it on our own, God, we can't. We can't, we cannot endure. We cannot love like this. We cannot proclaim like this. We cannot persevere like this. We cannot be the church that you've called us to be and to invest in. We can't continue to give if we don't first see how deeply and wonderfully and graciously you've given to us. So wow us before we go. Amaze us before we proclaim. Love us before we love. And lead us before we lead. God, thank you for gospel ministry. Let it awaken in our church so that we might be all that you've called us to be. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.